0: I'd like to quote Archbishop Anastasios of Albania, one of the most well-known missionaries of our time, who says, The spirit of apostleship is indelibly wrought in the very nature of the Church and should be lived in every age. Mission is part of the Church's genetic makeup, a fixed element in her DNA. Church without mission is a contradiction of terms. If the Church remains indifferent to the Apostle apostolic work with which she has been entrusted, she denies and contradicts herself and her very essence. This quote gets us right back to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ that just before his ascension into heaven gives to his church and he says, Mathi make disciples of all nations. And again when we start to analyse these quotes, we come somewhat short in, in the translation. Mathi is a very active term, as opposed to just make disciples, which sounds a little bit more passive. Perhaps we could say, the Mathidevsa de could be translated as empower the nations in my name. This passage, the very last few verses from the Book of Matthew, is read very, very frequently. It's read at every baptism service, and it is also one of the resurrection passages that are read in Matins. So our priest is going to be reading this passage thousands of times in their pastoral work. And we can reflect and say, why did the church choose this passage to be read at a baptism service? Sure, it talks about Jesus instituting baptism as part of his great commission. Go and make disciples, or if you like, empower the nations in my name baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. We could have easily chosen another passage. We could have chosen Jesus' baptism, for example, present in most of the Gospels. We could have chosen many other passages that refer to baptism, such as Jesus' words that we need to be baptised of water and the Spirit. One of the things this passage does, every time we hear it, at every baptism, at every matins where this passage is said, is that other than remembering the importance of baptism and the sacraments, to remember our vocation as Christians, that once we are part of the church, the mission continues. The Great Commission is given over the ages, over the centuries, to empower, to continue to empower the nations in his name. I mentioned a few terms before. All, whilst not completely synonymous, very closely related to each other. The apostolic mission work, catechism, the aconia, service, homologia, confession. All of those have a commonality. And that is and a basic presupposition of all these things is the recognition of the Evangelion in our lives. Evangelion, which means the Gospel, of course, but literally it means the Good News. What is the Good News? Without having in our minds the Good News and in our hearts the Good News, it is very difficult to make effective missionary work. The good news is God's love towards us, the God who created us, even though after his creation human beings fell into sin, God's patience and continuous active presence in our lives is made manifest especially In the incarnation of jesus christ and his death and resurrection and the implication that this has in our lives the fact that even though we are sinners even though we have cut ourselves off from god that god forgives that god is merciful that god has adopted us no longer do i call you slaves but I call you sons because the slave does not know what the master is doing. In other words, despite our worthlessness, he calls us to be part of his presence and he gifts and he grants to us the kingdom of heaven. This is the good news which once It penetrates in our hearts. Leads to. If it really penetrates in our hearts. It means that it cannot be kept within ourselves. This good news. And the importance of this good news. Is highlighted by Christ himself. After Christ was baptised. He was led into the desert and he fasted. And then he was tempted by the devil. And what happens after that? In the Gospel of Luke, he returns to Nazareth. He enters the temple. And he's given the Gospel of Isaiah to read. And he opens a scroll and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The Gospel writer continues and he closed the book, Jesus. And gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing in other words his presence there and then his presence his incarnation his coming into the world was a fulfillment of scripture that is the good news. This gift of Jesus' Incarnation and subsequent crucifixion and resurrection is a gift that ought to fill us with tears, to fill us with gratitude and it is this that fuels and drives our motivation for mission. The person of Jesus Christ. Needs to pervade the Christian message. Any talk or any act of evangelism or missionary work, whether it is Sunday school teaching or anything else that we do, if there is no reference to Jesus Christ, it has likely failed. Ideally, it emanates our own communion with Jesus Christ, not just something that we've read about. Jesus Christ not being just some figure that we read about and we even worship to, but a a figure that we commune in the deepest of our hearts. That's how it was for the apostles. The apostles who had the memory, the distinct memory of spending that time with him But Jesus Christ says you believe because you saw me, blessed are those who do not see me and believe. That just as the apostles had this relationship with Christ and that fueled and motivated their actions in missionary work, so it ought to fill each and every one of us. And it is very helpful to have a more detailed look at how evangelism and missionary work happened in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. We've already talked about the personal experience of God, you can just imagine Peter's experience of Jesus Christ and all those experiences that he had in all the falls even, and even the restitution of his relationship with Christ that we hear about after the resurrection where jesus asked him three times if he loved him you can see that that memory would have driven peter to the end of the earth which is what happened and the other apostles so first there was that personal experience of god secondly there was an absolute trust in god that emanated from that experience a belief so powerful that the people of the New Testament, the early church, were willing to commit everything in confidence in everything, in confidence that God's will would be done, just as they had prayed it would. They believed, they had the firm conviction that nothing about their salvation was accidental. It was the result of God's action, and they trusted that. They did not worry about their own self preservation. They just worried about doing God's will. And because they really believed, they had no fear. And because they had no fear, they were able to challenge the world. And because they challenged, they were listened to. <coughs> the next thing about their missionary was that it was led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come with power. Nothing absolutely nothing was now impossible. It would never have occurred to them to question that God was ultimately in control. They were not fools. They knew that there were difficulties and disasters. But they knew that they had a task and if they were faithful to it, God would provide what was needed. The task of the church was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. I would like to share with you some of the instructions of a very famous missionary, St. Innocent, who was Inokendios, who was a missionary to America and especially Alaska. As I read these instructions to the other missionaries, you will see that his conditions were totally different to our conditions. Yet each of these instructions, Behind these is a principle which is also applicable in our mission today. And I would like to ask of you that as you read each of these instructions, to think of the principles behind them and to see how they apply to our missionary today. Instruction number one. Pray, pray, pray. Instruction number two. Conversion comes from God, not from the evangelist. The missionary is only a tool in God's hands. Think before doing. Do not be negligent. Love your work and those to whom you are preaching. Preach to their hearts, not their minds, from your heart. Keep dogmas strictly, but make necessary allowances for new converts. Appropriately adjust fasting to the local culture. Ancient customs that are not Christian are not to be abolished abruptly. It must be explained that they are only tolerated, not approved. Do not give gifts to neophytes since they may be a temptation to conversion. Do not use bribes, threats or promises to induce anyone to be baptised. Act in a dignified manner to gain people's respect. Do your best to win confidence and help the people whenever you can so that they can see your open heart. When instructing, be gentle, pleasant and simple, and not overbearing or didactic. Listen courteously and attentively. And answer questions carefully and kindly. Be especially friendly to those who are not willing to accept baptism. Do not meddle in temporal affairs. Keep a diary. Start a primary school for the instruction of children in catechism. Strive to stand before God as a laborer, unashamed, righteously administering the word of truth. Devote yourself to the scriptures and live by them, and thus you will save both yourself and those who hear you. May the good Lord give us the love, the endurance, and the discernment so we can serve Him and declare His name in ways that pleases Him.